Let us hear the word of the Lord this morning from the Gospel of John. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, it's kind of one thing I didn't mention. It's kind of interesting being back at 830 as the last couple of weeks we've been worshiping together at one service at 930. Uh, and if you perhaps were out of town or missed that, for these last couple of weeks as we've worshipped together at 9.30, we've ha- had the opportunity to hear diverse stories from everyday persons within our community, people in many ways like us, who have stepped out and have been willing to share their experience of hearing and answering God's call in their lives. That's been our focus these last few weeks, this understanding of answering God's call in our lives and the testimonies that we were privileged to hear. And if you, again, missed any of them, they're on our website. You can get a CD, and I would encourage you to listen because their testimonies, while different, were all compelling. They were all poignant, and they were all inspiring. And the ironic thing, though, as we've gone through these last four weeks and as, I, as always as a pastor, listen to how is the community hearing what is being put before them, I suspect, as we've had these testimonies, that for many of us, we're still convinced that their stories, their testimonies, are the exception rather than the rule. In fact, I don't suspect. I know it's true. I know that most people don't seem to hear from God because one of the most frequent questions I get as a pastor, just me, when I share a bit of my relationship with the Lord is this. What do you mean God spoke to you? What do you mean God spoke to you? And and let me also stress that this kind of question, what do you mean God spoke to you, isn't just a question that's limited to people outside the faith that I encounter. I've discovered that many Christians confess to having never heard the Lord speak to them directly. Think about this for a moment. Maybe if that's where you are, think about this for a moment. Many Christians, most Christians confessing they've never heard the Lord speak to them directly. Think about this for a moment and think about it in light of the passage that we just heard from John. Beloved, how can someone claim to be in relationship with God if they never hear anything from the Lord? 
how can we profess, and we do every week, through song, through prayer, through sacrament, we profess every week that we believe and worship a God who desires not only to be known, but also to speak with us. How can we do that? How do we do that if, for most of us, the conversation is always one-sided? We talk, and God listens. We listen, but we don't hear anything. This God is reaching out and speaking to us, and yet for most of us, the creator of the universe comes up as an unknown caller on the spiritual frequency of our lives. Most of us have a cell phone. You've ever had that experience, or maybe at home on your answering machine? The phone rings, you go to look at it, and it says, unknown, unknown caller. And if you're like me, you're like, well, if I don't know who it is, I'm not picking up. For most of us, that's our reception of God in our lives. He's an unknown caller. What I want to suggest to you this morning, and we're also going to just finish this out next week, is that, beloved, more of God's people hear from the Lord than they suspect. And I believe this is true because Jesus repeatedly says in this passage, and there are others, abide in me. God is talking. God is calling. God is encouraging. God is convicting. God is guiding each one of us. What we need to enjoy our spiritual heritage our spiritual inheritance, which is a conversational relationship with the Lord, what we need is instruction. What we need is guidance. What we need is nurture and confirmation about what we're hearing. And so for the next two weeks, that's going to be our focus. This morning, we're going to learn about the different ways in which the Lord is speaking to each of us all the time. Ways that we often overlook or forget. And these are avenues of communication that God uses to reach out and touch us on a regular basis. And there are ways that we are perhaps unaware of this morning, or maybe we just overlook. And there are four. Four ways, avenues of communication that God is speaking to us. The first, and I think all of these for most of us are probably going to be obvious, but still bear no thinking about. The first is the most obvious. God speaks to us through his word. How we started this morning before I started talking, and as it always should be, God's word. God speaks to us. And we are told, in fact, in a, in a verse that many of us memorized as children, 2 Timothy 3, 16, uh, that God gives us his word, that this is God's written revelation of his will, his autobiography, if you will, his game plan. He gives us this word, as 2 Timothy writes, as a means of speaking to us, of teaching, of rebuking, of correcting and training us in righteousness righteousness in the right way to live to make us wise unto salvation to live the saved life the redeemed life the reconciled life so in that scripture and in countless others we are told the reason why we are given these words this book placed into our hands is because god desires intends to reveal his character We don't have to be in a mystery about who God is. God reveals his character. We don't have to wonder what is God up to. God reveals his purposes. God reveals his promises. What can we expect from this God? God reveals to us the way he works. And in contrast, he reveals to us the way he doesn't work. So when we're trying to evaluate, is this God or not? God has given us his word, we are told, so that we can know, yes, that's God. That's how God works. No, that's not how God works. And yet, even though this is starting place one of how God speaks to us, more and more, and maybe there's a correlation here, more and more, and I've said this many times when I've preached to you, I encounter Christians 
who basically say, yeah, I have a Bible, but I really don't read it. It's really hard. I don't get it. Without getting too deep into that, let's just think about the, where that leads us. If, if, if we just give up, how are we going to hear the Lord clearly? How are we going to hear the Lord safely apart from the whole of this book? It's, if this is the epicenter, the foundation of our communication with God, if this is basically like uh, our vocabulary for God, our, our way of understanding the grammar of God, the syntax of how God puts things together, the nuance of how this God works, how can we hear God if we are not in this book, immersed in these words? Beloved, I want to suggest to you this morning, if you find yourself in a place where you're like, I don't hear God speaking to me, God doesn't speak to me directly, what are you doing with this? What do you make of this? You noticed that the scripture wasn't on this, the screen this morning. Some of you may have noticed that, because I became convicted recently. It was actually <laughs> um, someone who was younger, and I figured, well, if it's good for them, it's good for all of us, who I was talking about, this idea of, again, that God speaks to us through his word. And this was, again, an example where this person said, it's too long, I don't get it. And, I, and, and basically I said, well, you know, that's part of why we have scripture on Sunday and being in the word. And this person said, I don't even bring my Bible to church on Sunday anymore because, you know, you just put it on the screen. And so I just look up on the screen. And the problem with that is, is that there's something different about having God's word in your hands. There's something different about maybe underlining. I mean, in John 15 alone, something I would encourage you to do is look at how many times Jesus says the word abide. Look at how many times he says the word remain. There's something that, there's a meaning in that. And so part of why I don't have the Bible on the screen anymore, and I won't, is I want to get us back in the practice of actually opening up the book, of getting it into our hands. And so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to bring it, because the type on the one that we have in the pew is really, really small. <laughs> but if you don't bring it, you can read the one that's in the pew. But I want us to be in the Bible together, because I have this, I know, idealistic fantasy notion that you actually, while you're reading it, might actually take notes. You might write something down. And again, this is, again, how we begin to, to engage this relationship. Because, again, like any relationship, it takes some getting used to. Learning a language always does. Learning the nuance, the syntax. But, beloved, if we're not hungrily, regularly, in God's most explicit and expansive way of addressing, informing, and transforming us, how can we hear God in our lives? So, God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us all through, also through history. One of the things that we take away from this book when we read it as a whole, and it's an incredible, transformative understanding and idea, is that God is in fact telling a story. God is telling his story, history, his story through us. We worship a creative God, a creator God who is telling a story. And, and, and the, the evidence of this, which is why this book is, as that one uh, student said, is so long, is that God purposely works through people. Do you ever think about that with this God? This God, if he has a plan, if he has a purpose, if he wants something done, wouldn't it be just more efficient to pull a couple of strings? Wouldn't it just be efficient? I mean, don't, in some respects, don't you feel like the story kind of is the same over and over again? Why doesn't God just make it shorter? Basically, by getting rid of all the problem and starting over. And yet this God isn't doing that because this God is telling a story. And these stories within the Bible that many of us grew up in Sunday school learning, but many of us have not, or many of us have forgotten, these stories matter. And yet... Again, maybe a correlation here that people are not hearing from God because they're biblically illiterate. 
When you talk of Jonah, when you talk of Ezekiel, when you talk of Daniel, when you talk of Rahab, people who don't know those stories, is there any wonder that maybe they don't recognize how God is speaking in their own life? But I want to push it even further when I talk about history. It's not just biblical history. When I say history, God doesn't just speak through biblical history, even though those stories matter. God speaks through all of the stories, not just the biblical ones. Remember, God created the church, and God created the church, and that means that God is speaking through this body of Christ that he's created. And that's why for the last four weeks we had testimonies. That's why testimonies have been a part of the church for a long, long time. Little sidebar, not speaking to anyone here, because they, you may not be, be the person that, was, that, that, that said this, but when we had one service together, some people didn't participate, as you know. And you ask as a pastor, well, you know, how come people didn't come together? And some people were on vacation. Some people had different issues. But one of the issues that came up was, well, I don't want to hear a bunch of testimonies. If Pastor Chris isn't preaching, then I'm not coming. Which, by the way, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. <laughs> thank you. But it's not about me. Because as, as, as good of a sermon as I hope that I can preach, no sermon is more powerful than the sermon of one's own life. If you are not willing or you know, testimonies aren't your cup of tea, you're missing the very, one of the most powerful ways that God speaks through the history, the history of his people, that God is writing a story and each person's story and how God is speaking through that story has something to say to us. And yet more and more we live in a world and it goes across the generations where we're not just biblically illiterate of these stories, we're an ahistorical people where we're forgetting the history of our church. And I'm not just talking the Lutheran church. I have many of you who come to me on a regular basis who bemoan the fact that our young people don't know who Martin Luther is. And amen, they should know who Martin Luther is since we are, after all, Lutherans. But let me push back to you. Do you know who St. Augustine is? Do you know who William Wilberforce is? Do you know who Julian of Norwich is? And I could go on and on and on. Are, are, are we aware of the rich tapestry, or as scripture calls it, the great cloud of witnesses that have a testimony that God speaks through their lives to speak to us, if nothing else, to say to us that, look, we're not the first people to face the challenges that we face. Many of us encounter these challenges that we have with life and with this God as if we're the, first time, we're the first ones to encounter this. And yet, if we were rooted in our history, we would discover God speaking through those who have come before us. We're not the first to ask the questions that we do. Despite how advanced, how much we've progressed, we're still asking the same questions. And if we knew our history, we would hear God speaking to us through our ancestors. God speaks to us directly through the testimonies of those who have gone before us. You know, there's lots of debate, there always has been from the first generation of Christians till today of why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Why isn't Jesus coming back? And maybe, maybe Jesus isn't coming back yet because he's waiting for us to stop willfully or unconsciously being ignorant of the practical wisdom and revelation that he is speaking to us through our ancestors. You heard, know the quote probably better than I do. Those who forget their history are doomed to repeat it. So the word history, another way that God speaks to us directly is through the sacraments. I often, um, you know, uh, when we, I get into conversations about hearing God, you know, seeing God, the reality of God, get something thrown back at me like, ah, oh, I just want, I, I just want a God I can see. I just want a God I can feel. Welcome to the sacraments. 
The sacraments. We, the sacraments are God's way of engaging us through our senses. The experiences of baptism and of communion are God's way of engaging us through our senses, through the ways that are most vivid and, and tangible to us. These signs and symbols that are a part of baptism and communion are meant to draw us into the experience of God's presence. And yet for many of us, we, though we may nod our heads at that definition, we miss God's voice when we turn the sacraments of baptism and communion into some kind of magic formula. You know, more and more we've asked people to help with communion. One of the more common questions when people come and ask, they get very, very nervous. They start to break out in a cold sweat. They're going to help with communion. What do I say? What are the right words? Well, here are the words, and make sure you get them exactly right. Otherwise, you're going to hell. <laughs> you're laughing, but yet people are like, whoa, 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 what do I say? And then what's even more, again, just to relieve all of you, when you come up to receive communion, some of you respond like, if I speak, like, you don't say anything. Others of you, if, if, you, say something, if you say something, you're like, was that okay? Is it okay that I said that? We're, we, we've made this superstitious. The sacraments are God's way of engaging us. We, we have become, I think, at times with the sacraments, more superstitious about the means rather than reflective on the mystery of the sacrament. That God purposes in Jesus Christ to come to us through ordinary elements like bread and wine. That water and a baptismal fount can speak to our rebirth, our regeneration. These are the things that we should be talking about. These are the things that we should be getting excited about. And instead, we're all verklempt and nervous if we say the right words or if it's done the right way. As if it's some kind of magic formula. And that's not what the sacraments are. It's not a ritual. It's a relationship. And God speaks to us through the sacraments. For others of us, maybe we don't fixate so much on the on the right words, or the, we don't look at it like a magic formula. We miss God's voice in the sacraments because we treat it like everything else, like a consumer. We treat it like a checklist. We're not having communion this week, but that's on my list. I got to check that box. We treat, and this is happening more and more in the church, and I, 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 this is a little pastoral word, and I'm, oh, this is, could be a part of the Q&A today. I'm, 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 I'm in a, a bit of a dilemma I can't believe I'm actually going to say this out loud. <laughs> yes, I am. Okay. Tell me as your pastor what I'm supposed to do. As I have baptismal appointments, and I'm going to be blunt, some of them from your own children, who fundamentally are coming to me, they sit down and they talk about baptism, but I know that I'm never going to see them again. I'm struck because on the one hand, as a pastor, I'm not going to turn away anyone who wants to be baptized. But what do I do with the reality that there are more and more people who are coming to the church like consumers because they just want to get the, the white dress? They want to have the photo op. They want to get baptized. Guide me. Give me counsel as I talk to them. And I say, do you understand the deeper meaning of what this is about? The God you're encountering in this. And as they look at me and they nod their heads and say, yes, we're going to be a part of the church community. Yes, we're going to raise our child in the faith. And then after I baptize them, I never see them again. How am, should I continue to do this? Should I say no? When I know that the promises that are being made publicly before us and before God are not being kept, are any of you noticing that and are you following up with any of these people that you see who come, who get baptized and then we never see again? Isn't that our responsibility as the community of faith? See, again, if we treat the sacraments as something... That's just a, some consumer item that we get or use. We're not only devaluing 
what it's all about. We're missing the voice of God in the midst of that. Baptism and communion are not just about filling our tank or you know, checking something off. It's about encountering the living God every single time. And, it's, and, and when I talk about sacraments, there are sacraments, but then there's also the sacramental, sacramental aspect of our life. The sacraments are specific acts defined by God. Do this in memory of me. Go and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sacraments. But in the church, we also have things that are sacramental. And what that means is we engage in things that are sacred, things that are holy, things that are set apart because they're dedicated specifically for connecting us to God, for being in God's presence. And probably the most sacramental thing that we do is worship. This is why we gather every week. We gather because we understand that through the sermon, through the songs that we sing, through the prayers that are offered, through the liturgy, the offering, communion, the benediction, that God is speaking through that structure, through that liturgy, that rhythm. And what's powerful, some of you um, realize this, some of you don't, and I want to share it with you, is I, I hope you see that there's some planning that goes into worship, that we try to plan things out. But at the same time, we don't try to overplan because we want this to be something that's led by God. We recognize that we are following sort of practices that have always been a part of the church, the sacramental practices of the church. There should be prayer. There should be worship through song. There should be communion. There should be. But in doing that, we hold on to it loosely because what will always happen is in the midst of our planning, God will show up in ways that we never could have imagined and expected. God is speaking through our worship every Sunday. I see it as your pastor when I prepare a sermon. God has given me a text, but I don't talk to Tim. I don't because I trust him and I also trust the Holy Spirit. And the choir does a piece of special music that, that is that's not just brilliant in its own right, but speaks uniquely, profoundly to what the word has just said. And I had nothing to do with it. And people come up and go, man, that was so great that you chose that piece of special music, you and Tim. Or in the people that are involved who come up and lead prayers, in that moment they offer a prayer that speaks in a way that I couldn't have scripted it out for them. God speaks to us every Sunday through the liturgy the sacramental practices that we engage in as a church. That's why when you think about communication, I've often called our coming together on Sunday like Sunday dinner. Why do you have Sunday dinner as a family or Sunday brunch? You get together and you kind of go through the same thing all the time as a family, but if your family's like mine, it's always a little different. There's always a way in which you connect in a deeper way. That's why we come together, because God speaks to us as a community. God speaks to us in the same way in acts of service that we do in the name of Jesus. When we serve others in the name of Christ. God speaks to us when we t go on mission trips or support those who are in mission for the sake of the kingdom. Last Yesterday I had the privilege of being a part of many from our church who were building um, a house for Habitat for Humanity. And you know what? You can build a house apart from invoking the name of Jesus Christ. You can go and do good works apart from invoking the kingdom of God. But when you invoke the name of Jesus, when you witness to the kingdom of God, God speaks through those experiences and those moments. They become sacramental. And I have to tell you, I've worked on houses before, helping out a neighbor. But yesterday was more than just framing some walls. God was speaking in a powerful way to all of us who were there. God speaks to us directly through the sacramental things, the parts, the places in our lives that are set apart to God. And beloved, what that means is that we have got to get messy. We've got to get focused. We've got to soak in and soak up these experiences that are similar and yet distinctive each time. If every time you're coming to communion, it's the same. You're just going by rote. Then, we shouldn't, then communion every week is not a good thing for you. 
You need to every time as we engage this, allow the mystery of God's presence through the everyday ordinary elements of our lives, the sacraments, baptism and communion, and the sacramental things of our lives to open you up to how God is speaking. The Bible, history, the sacraments, and lastly, God speaks to us through the questions of life. And this actually could be the one I started with, but I intentionally kept this for last. Because God's communication with most of us starts here. In those still small moments when you ask yourself, what is the meaning of life? And everybody at some point asks the question, what is the meaning of life? We ask, how did I get here? Why am I here? What's wrong with this world? It's in those questions of life that God is speaking to us because God's hardwired those questions in us. Those questions are coming from the imprint of God. We are created in the image of God. And God, if if you will, has left a recording device inside of us that in the midst of everything else that goes on, all of a sudden comes on in our lives and we start to ask these deeper, bigger, transcendent questions. We look and reach beyond ourselves. Why do we do that as human beings? Because God has calling out to us. We dream for something more. We as human beings are never satisfied. That's evidence of God calling out to us and sensing that there's more to life than this, that there's more than we can see. And, and, and you've all had this experience in some way or another. You've had that experience maybe once in your life where you've been in the midst of something majestic in nature. And, you, and as we like to say, you found God because you saw something and said, this is blowing my mind. I can't take it in how intricate, how beautiful, how vast it is. And I know that this is bigger than me. And if this is bigger than me, then there's got to be someone bigger than me. And that is God. It comes in that rush of inspiration when all of a sudden you find yourself having an idea, a thought that is not you. It's not you at all. It seems like it comes from the outside. It comes in that moment of clarity when you've lived your life in a, in a certain way all your life and you've been stuck in a rut and suddenly it becomes crystal clear to you. And it just all of a sudden just zeroes in in a way and says, this is what I was born to do. This is what I am being called to do right now. That's God. It's in that persistent idea or conviction that you just can't shake. It haunts you in your sleep. It's, it's, it lays, lays dormant in your thoughts. This idea, this conviction of action, of, of inspiration. These are universal experiences of a God who has hardwired us to hear his voice. And in that spirit, it begins this week, the Alpha Course. It's not the end-all, be-all, but it's all put there to engage those questions of life. That's what Alpha is all about, to take that starting point where God speaks to us and help people to learn how to listen and hear from God. To move beyond the superficiality that dominates most of our lives, where we just go through the motions, and for six, seven weeks, to actually ask and have an answer to, is there more to life than this? What am I doing here? Why am I here? And it's from these questions, and from Alpha, that then the other three come into focus. From that initial grasping of how God is speaking, God's word becomes an avenue of communication. Our history becomes an avenue of communication. The sacraments become an avenue of communication. Beloved, we worship a pursuing God. A pursuing God, a relentless God. You heard that through the testimonies. A God who will not let us go. A God who seeks to reveal himself and engage us through a number of different avenues. So to go back to my cell phone analogy, it would seem pretty clear that God has our number. The question is, why don't we have his? 
If Jesus meant what he said here in John 15, if he meant what he said when he proclaimed on more than, on more than one occasion, my sheep hear my voice, why is it that most of his flock is functionally deaf? And that's where I want to conclude this morning, with the two biggest distractions that prevent us from hearing God. We can talk about the avenues of communication that God uses, but we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the two biggest distractions that prevent us from hearing God. The two biggest distractions that, in my opinion, deafen our souls. And the first it's the absence of that silence. Too much noise in our lives and not enough silence. You guys, many of you in this room, represent what we call the greatest generation. I am I, always fascinated in your conversations and convicted by <laughs> a persistent complaint that you thought in your time life moved fast, but now you can't keep up. Does it, is anyone else struck by the fact that we are always plugged in? Is anyone else overwhelmed at times by the fact that we're always being bombarded? That there seems like there's always something coming at us? Does anyone here remember the days, and I'm, I'm not that old, young, but does anyone remember the days when TV actually went off the air? When you got up, you couldn't sleep, and it was... Does anyone remember when you actually lived in a town where things closed down for the afternoon or closed down for the night? You get up at 3 in the morning, good luck. You'd walk the streets. 7-Eleven was like a big deal. They're open 7-Eleven. Now 7-Eleven's a novelty. We're always multitasking. Even, even your, your generation... Has, has been forced to embrace this idea of multitasking. You may not multitask like your grandchildren, but we all multitask. We're, we're, we're required to. We're, just, we're, we're not normal human beings if we can't do five things at the same time. We're always on. And added to that, always being on, thing, things are always on. There's always background noise in our lives. I come to visit you in your homes. The TV's on, even though you're not watching it. I go with you in your cars. The radio's on, even though you're not listening to it. Everywhere I go, music's playing, voices are talking. Silence is a rare thing. Don't take my word for it. How much silence do you have in your life? I really want you to do this because I really want you to be impacted by this. How much silence do you have in your life? This week, just this week, from today when you get home till we come together next week, I want you to track the silence in your life. I want you to note the minutes of silence. At the end of every day, how many minutes of silence did I have? And I want you to compare that to because obviously it's simple math, the minutes of noise you had. And I'm, not, and I'm talking about, when I say silence, intentional, focused, purposeful silence. I'm not talking about being asleep. <laughs> and I'm not talking about if your kids, your parents saying, be quiet! Or being in a situation where you're forced into silence. I'm talking about count the times in which you take intentional focused and purposeful silence, where you turn things off, where you intentionally block things out. God is calling out to us, beloved, but the volume is turned up so loud in our lives 
that we can't hear him. We don't even realize he's speaking. It's so noisy in our lives. Again, going back to my cell phone analogy, just to give you this comparison, this reality check, most of us have cell phones. If you do, I'm talking to you. If you have a cell phone, how many times a day would you say you check your cell phone? If you're like me, you're addicted. Nope, not yet. Nope, not yet. Nope, not yet. How many times do you check your email? How many times do you take that little cell phone to check and see if someone's communicating with you? Did they text me yet? Did they call back? Did I get an email? You just track that. How many times you check that cell phone? And how does that level of engagement compare with your quiet time? In the history of the church, we've always encouraged people to take a quiet time. It is probably now more compelling than ever to take time to be quiet. How does that regular checking of your phone to see if other people are communicating with you? Did I get that email? Did the call come? Did I get that text? How does that compare with your time of dedicated silence to listen to God? I did this this week, and it was woeful for me. And even having that token, you know, we were like, just get five minutes. Just five minutes quiet time a day. Okay, if you do five minutes, seven seven days a week, that's 35 minutes. I guarantee you if you track this, you check your cell phone way more than 35 minutes in a week. So noise. The second distraction, biggest distraction in our lives from hearing God, you probably can see this coming, is busyness. How many of you have had the experience... (laughs) And I'm, I'm being very personal right now, um, and I can see my wife in the back, so I'm in big trouble with what I'm about to say. How many of you have had the experience of being unaware or uninformed and then having someone tell you in surprise or frustration, but I told you about this. We talked about this the other day. Or the best one, this was my dad's favorite, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Why didn't we hear them? Because we were busy. I was busy doing something else. Oh yes, the tyranny of the urgent is alive and well, my friends. We've always got something to do. We are really into doing. Man, we just feel so accomplished when we're doing, when we're producing and we're pouring out. But many of us have no idea what it means to be, to be being, to be receiving, to listening, to being poured into. Over and over again, Jesus says in this passage alone, abide in me. And in the practical outworking of our lives, as Jesus says, abide in me, we say as we say to everyone else in our lives, I'm too busy. I'm very busy right now. I'll abide in you when I'm not so busy. When does the busyness ever stop? Has anyone reached the end of the busyness? Anyone. It doesn't exist. We say it like, well, everyone knows. It's th- there's, this is the moment when the busyness is done. I have yet to meet that person who's found that end. When we are so busy, especially busy to the relationships in our lives, let alone the most important relationship, it prevents us from hearing others, let alone God. Abide in me. The greatest thing about abiding is that it gives your heart and mind time to think and feel. And the hardest thing about abiding is that it gives your heart and mind time to think and feel. The greatest thing about abiding, hear that again, is it gives your heart and mind time to think and feel. But the hardest thing about abiding is it gives your heart and mind time to think and feel. Busyness, busyness, on the other hand, keeps me moving. All the stuff I do just doesn't give me time to think and feel more deeply about things. And to be honest, I'm all right with that. Because I'd rather not go there. 
Ignorance is bliss. Keeping busy allows me to ignore what I don't want to hear. And my wife knows it. That's why she gets right in front of me and stops all my busyness to get my attention. Because keeping busy allows me to not to ignore what I don't want to hear. Because here's why I do it. Here's why I like to be busy. Because I realize that if I hear something, I am saying this publicly, Beth. I realize that if I hear something, I am responsible to either obey it or reject it. And I typically don't want that burden. Hence my selective listening. <laughs> Keeping busy only gives me enough times, only gives me enough time, and maybe you can relate. Keeping busy only gives me enough time to lick my wounds, to justify my decisions, to defend my actions, and just keep running in circles doing the same thing over and over again. I believe someone said that was the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And yet, we are addicted to it. When confronting one or both of these obstacles, noise or busyness, these are, the, this, these are the obstacles that many Christians confront and prevents them from hearing the voice of God. There are some who are afraid, perhaps for some reason, and that fear um, of others that keeps them rebelling from even wanting to God, hear, hear God speak because they're just too busy all the time. Let me come back to this again. Right now we're offering the Alpha Course. The Alpha Course is not the end-all be-all, but this is the opportunity for you to take advantage of yourself or to invite others to engage the deeper questions of life. Our sign-ups right now are abysmal. Maybe people are all going to show up on the 12th. That would be Southern California style right there, just show up. But right now we have under 10 people signed up for this. You know what the number one thing is when I go up to parents, when I go up to you and, and say, would you like to be a part of Alpha? You know it. Say it with me. I'm too busy. When will you not be busy? How much longer will you assume that you're going to have time to ask these questions? And if maybe you've got these answers already, how much, more, how much longer will you assume the people in your life you love who you know need to ask these questions, who you need to come with are going to have time to do that? We assume we have all this time. And that's why the busyness never ends. Maybe for you it's not fear or rebellion. Maybe it's not busyness. Maybe it's, like I said, so many distractions in front of you that it never gets quiet enough inside your mind to hear God calling out to you. Whether it's noise or busyness, hear the gospel, hear the grace of God that the voice of Jesus continues to whisper to our souls. His voice echoes through the overcrowded and noisy spaces in our lives saying again and again, abide in me, remain in me. The Lord, beloved, wants us to put him on speed dial. Abide in me. Talk to me, God is saying. Listen to me. Let me in. Let me carve out the space you need so your life has pause before your decisions are made. So your wounds can get cleansed and healed so that your heart and mind are tempered toward humility and peace rather than automatic self-justification and self-defense. If that describes your life, God is calling you to be free, to abide, to remain, to be clean. This God desires to be at the top of our contacts list. He just keeps calling. But all we see is an unrecognized number. As the display on our screen of our live reads, unknown caller, we just keep muting the ringer and move on. Is it any wonder that no one can hear God speaking directly into their lives? Beloved, we can't be passive. We can't just sit back and expect we're going to hear from God without setting aside time and preparing ourselves. Developing a conversational relationship with Jesus is no different than how we engage a relationship in our other relationship in our lives. 
How many of you have made it a practice to call your parents if they're still living once a week? How many of you have made it a practice to call your kids? Maybe you do now, once or twice a week, if they live away from you. How many of us, when we're away from our spouses, tried to connect at least once a day? We did this because we knew it was important to make intentional time. We wanted to establish it as a priority. We wanted to make it a regular practice. It's no different with God. If you're not hearing God, what I'm saying to you this morning is you have to ask yourself, what are your priorities? What are you seeking with your life? And what are your practices? What are you following with your life? What are your practices? What are you committed to? Because as you've heard this morning, God speaks to us through a variety of avenues of communication. And we need to seek God by daring to ask and reflect on those deeper questions of life and meaning. We need to make that a priority and a practice. We need to read, study, and meditate on his word together. Not always alone, together. We need to learn and discover his voice through the great cloud of witnesses. To remember and lift up the saints, not just one day a year, but to really know our history, know those who've come before us and hear God speaking through them. And we need to immerse ourselves in worship, being here consistently and outside of this place, worshiping through silence and solitude and the sacramental aspects of life. The beauty of our relationship with God, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is that he is the initiator of the ongoing conversation. With anybody else in your life, you've got to initiate. God is the initiator. He is continually, continually calling out to us. We don't have to get his attention. There's no busy signal when we reach out to God. There's no waiting on hold. We simply have to pick up the receiver and listen and converse with him. It's a simple fact of the financial reality of our life that you can't take out of the account what you refuse to put in. Let me say to you from my own personal, let alone pastoral experience and observation and counseling other Christians that the one thing that I have learned that is an incontrovertible truth is that there is a one-to-one correlation between those who really hear God, who say God speaks to me all the time, and those who purposefully make a relationship with Jesus a priority in their life, who consistently make use of the lines of communication through which the Lord speaks. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, and you sit here today and say, I have never heard the Lord speak to me directly, something is fundamentally and foundationally wrong. Because we worship a personal God. We worship a God who reaches out and touches us through Jesus Christ and continues to call out and encounter us through the person of the Holy Spirit. He calls to us, he speaks to us, so that we might exchange our busy lives for fruitful ones. He calls to us so that we might trade the chaos of our noisy world for the joy that is complete in the next one. He calls us to abide, to remain in him, to listen and answer when he calls because he loves us. My brothers and sisters in Christ, God is calling. Do you hear him? Do we hear him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that today is Sunday. This is the day that you have set apart for us to rest, to be silent, to cease from our work, And you set apart this time, you make it sacred, you make it sacramental, Lord, so that you can speak to us and work in us. You've gathered us here today to abide, 
to be loved by your living word, our Lord, your son, Jesus Christ. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Remain with us and draw us in with the spirit to your son, that he may draw us in that same spirit to you. Prune what is noisy and busy in our lives, all that deafens our souls to your voice. Hallow, enlighten, and bless our human action, our praying, our singing, our speaking and hearing. Reign, O Lord, in our midst. And as we continue to listen, to abide in you through the offering that we now take, Lord, we give to you from the abundance that you've poured into our lives. What we give is an acknowledgement, a reflection. Not just that all that we have and all that we are is because of you. It's an acknowledgement and a reflection of our understanding that you are speaking. You speak through the bounty and blessings that you provide. And Lord, we seek to answer by giving our first fruits to you and to your service. Bless these gifts. Bless the remainder of this time. May you be honored and glorified in all that we seek to do. But Lord, in it all, help us to just be and to hear your voice. We ask it in the power of your spirit for the sake of your kingdom and always in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.